Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com slash book. Thousands of you have read and dove into The Gift of Self-Love. The reviews are just incredible. So many five-star reviews, and I'm so forever grateful that it has touched your lives in such a big way. After publishing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I noticed that many of you asked me for a tool that would help you build a daily practice of self-love into your life, which is why I decided to create a new self-love journal, 100 Days of Self-Love. It's got 100 journaling prompts that cover all areas of life, body, identity, purpose, relationships, emotions, and more. So you can think of this as a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love. You can get the journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. These two books, The Gift of Self-Love, The Workbook, and 100 Days of Self-Love, the journal, are complementary to one another, so the content does not overlap. It just depends on what you want or need at this point in your life. It's my mission to share all the self-love tools with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can help you do just that. Hi, Zoe. Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I have so many questions. And in preparation for this interview, I was thinking about what do I really want to focus on? Because when it comes to body positivity in children, there are so many directions. And I think the kind of scary place to start, but the one I want to start with, because so many people, not just parents, but I'm a big sister and I'm sure there's aunts listening to this or teachers, educators. I mean, children are a part of our lives and I always aim to model body positivity, but there's one question that I have received from children, not just my own sister, but nieces, kids everywhere. And that question is, am I fat? And I think I've been in a situation also because my teen years are only a few years ago. That's a question that I've asked my mom a lot. Like, am I fat? Or trying to compare my body to other people's and fat being this like derogatory, scary, bad thing to be. And rightfully so, I think a lot of kids question that. So what's your approach to answering that question in your private practice with maybe your own kids? I love that you asked that question or that you went there first, because I think that the question, it's like a dreaded question. And my goal is to help people no longer dread the question. It doesn't mean that it's not a hard question. And I think the way I advise people and even answer it myself depends a lot on a lot of different things. Because if a child's teen in a larger body asks that question, it deserves a different response than a kid who's not in a larger body who might also ask that question. Because something I know just from the treatment I do with folks with body image disturbances and eating disorders is that the quote feeling fat experience, it's tricky because it's both a psychological phenomenon where people can feel fat. And that actually often means just, I feel bad, but inherent in that psychological phenomenon is this larger anti-fat bias, which of course, like I'm on a crusade to like eradicate anti-fat bias from this world, which I probably won't be able to do alone, but I know you're doing similar things as well. So when a kid 
asks a parent or anyone for that matter, am I fat? I always want the grown up in the situation to just ask themselves, how do I feel about having just been asked? Now, this is perfect that we can use this conversation as like a laboratory because in the moment you're just like, (laughs) and then you do your best, you know, but in the reflection, it's like, what are you bringing to that moment? Right? What attitudes about fatness are you bringing to that moment? And where are you at in your comfort with the word fat, in your understanding that fat can mean a feeling, it can also literally be part of someone's identity? You know, like there's just so much to unpack in that word always. So I think as a first step, I just want you to be curious, how did that question just land with me? I mean, I can keep going, but I also, I'm curious how that sounds to you as sort of like a first place to sort of start with yourself. Well, what just came up for me that I'm being asked this question? Yeah, I think it brings up kind of feeling proud of how I've handled it in the past because I've done a lot of work to make fat a very neutral word, but I have seen adults, parents, family members handle it very differently. And I'm very grateful that I was able to step in. But I think the natural reaction is, no, you're not fat because they themselves are so scared of being fat. And I always try to stop myself from going there. Totally. And I think you're a walking example of like, if you've done your own work around this, right? And if you are on your own personal mission to de-stigmatize not just the word, but also neutralize the reality of fatness, right? I mean, I bring to this conversation just a deep appreciation for fatness is not just fine, but beautiful and acceptable and in need of lifting up and not trying to run away from even using the word. So I think that you're right. Most people have this, <gasps> and they either rush to, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very damaging for a lot of different reasons, especially if a child who is in a fat body or is obviously larger than their peers is asking the question. Because if you can know that there's nothing wrong with being fat, And it is harder in this world to be in a fat body than in a thinner body because of privilege and the sort of nasty nature of our oppressive system. But you can be an adult for that child that is actually not one of those people that's freaked out about fat or going to get ready to help you not be fat, right? But rather approach it with like, well, First of all, what makes you ask? You know, I think that's always important because I think you'd be surprised. Little kids in particular, sometimes they they don't even know exactly what they mean. But if somebody's saying, well, am I fat? You know, I have my tummy's bigger than the other girls in my class. I think it's actually important to say, well, yes, your tummy is bigger than the other girls in your class. Do you like the word fat to describe your body? Some people do. Some people don't. It's a tricky word. But to really come at it with at least the illusion of your confident and comfortable having this conversation, and you might actually be about to validate something that your child needs validated, right? I think that's really important. And again, if your child's not in a bigger body, you're going to approach this differently. How would you approach it if they're objectively straight-sized? If they're objectively straight-sized, especially if you you know that they're objectively straight-sized and then relative to their peers, they really do look similar or are maybe smaller than their peers, right? Like, I think you want to do a reality check. I don't think you want to invalidate. But I think then if your kid is wondering if they're fat, but there's really no visible evidence that they are larger than their peers, you want to start to be more concerned about what's going on internally such that they're not necessarily seeing something real and trying to talk about it with you, right? Like in the case of the larger child who's like essentially saying to you, I know I look different. Is that going to be okay? That's what they're wanting to know, right? Do I have to do everything I can to hide or not be this way? But another child, you might still do the same 
what do you mean? What's making you ask? I think you want to praise them for coming towards you to, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this. But then I might try to get a sense of where are you getting this idea? Like relative to who, to what, like what are the images you're seeing? Because you might start to see that they have a very distorted sense of their body. And now we're into like corrupted body image territory, right? We're not in the territory of a fat child noticing that they are bigger than their peers. We're in the territory of somebody who's maybe got some dysmorphia going on, like something. And they might be trying to say something like, I feel lonely, or I feel scared, or I feel sensations in my body that are distressing to me. And I don't, I don't know how to describe them. So I'm calling them fat because that's like what everybody does, right? I feel fat. You know, everyone knows what you mean when you say, oh, I feel so fat. But like, it's, it's one of the most complicated problematic terms there is. So I think you don't want to invalidate the experience, but I think with a child who's not in a larger body, there's a little bit more of like, what is actually going on for this kid? As opposed to the larger child where there might be both going on, right? Something internal, but then also something very real about the, the physical differences. Zoe, in this situation that I was referring to that I was in, I know I started tooting my own horn, but it wasn't all smooth sailing because of course, in the moment, there's lots of emotions. You want to calm down the child also and comfort them. And unfortunately, being raised in this culture, comforting them isn't easy around the topic of bigger bodies and fatness with the fat phobia that we're living in. So I tried to say things like, just to give context, by the way, to your question of where are you receiving this message from? Well, this particular child was getting bullied for their body. And so kids at school were blatantly pointing it out. And I think that one of the things that I resorted to was, well, being fat is not bad, but you know what is bad is being a bully. And trying to kind of just like turn it on to them that the problem isn't with you and your body. It's with them and the people who are making you feel bad about their bodies. But one thing that I said and instantly regretted, even though it did make her smile and laugh, and in the moment it felt like it worked. But looking back, I'm like, "Mm, should I have said that? I said something along the lines of like, well, I would rather keep eating ice cream with you and enjoying, you know, the cookies we bake and, and whatever else we like to eat. I would rather do that than be skinny. Mm. And for some reason, it felt like it worked in the moment because again, it like reinforced our connection. But it also looking back, I'm like, did that send a weird message about this like trade-off between like eating and thinness and kind of like create some complicated territory? I, I wasn't beating myself up about it too much, but we don't always have the perfect thing to say. So I'm wondering how you start talking to kids when the concept of food comes in and starts getting very much enmeshed with that body image conversation, especially as kids go from kids to tweens to teens, and they receive messages not just about how their body looks, but also about what they should or should not be eating or this health situation. Because I think kids, I mean, even when I was in school, I probably started like worrying about my health when I was. 11 or 12, like very legitimately. So I'm I'm wondering how you start approaching that when it's so much harder, I think, with teens. Yes, it is. I love your example, though, because you can still toot your own horn. Like, I think, you know, you did great. And this is someone that you want to keep the door open for future connection and conversation. Like, it's not like there's a perfect thing to say ever. And you know, I'm also a realist. You could do everything, quote, right as a parent. You could ace all those conversations and your kid could still struggle, could still develop an eating disorder or could still experience depression or or could just still feel terrible as a result of bullying, you know? And I think that's one of the hardest things. We can't protect them entirely, right? But I think if I join with the part of you that's like looking back and wondering, was that a mistake? It's less that it was a mistake and more that it's a useful illustration of how whenever we can, separating how we eat from how we look, 
we should do, right? Because of course, if we're really going to pick at you, which we shouldn't, because I still think you did great. Yeah. Like even if a fat teen stopped eating ice cream, they might still be a fat teen. You know, I mean, that's just the truth. In fact, if we're really going to go there, if they stop eating ice cream to try to be skinny, and then they're so deprived that they end up eating more ice cream, not only will they start to venture into like binge eating and eating disorder territory, but they might mess with their set point in their weight. You know, we, we could get more technical if you want, and then gain even more weight than they were going to in the first place. You know, it's like they could just start weight cycling, which is not optimal for health and certainly not helpful if what you want is to shrink your body. So I think that the more we can do to separate this out, the better, because I think to your point, it's so inevitable because of the toxic messages in our culture. It's just so inevitable. And never mind the culture, like go to school. Like you'll be hearing plenty from your well-meaning science teacher or health teacher about what you should eat and what you shouldn't and what's good and bad and all this and fatness as a cautionary tale. It's like, it's all there. And so I think we on some level want to be crafty myth busters, you know, so that we can be the a voice that says body size and how we eat is not actually as connected as people will sell you. That being said, at all times, right, you're trying to balance like those little sound bites and those little seeds you want to plant with just survival and like giving, you know, being connected to the kid in front of you, which I genuinely think you were. I mean, that you were able to laugh and, you know, this suggests to me a very powerful connection that you're fostering with that young person. And I think it's a great example of how it's never going to be perfect and we shouldn't even be shooting for perfect. It's like, forget that, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think the moment where I felt guilty is exactly what you said, that I was almost just connecting us eating ice cream with you being in a bigger body. And I totally didn't mean to do that. I guess my biggest fear is her not eating ice cream in order to be in a smaller body and then reaffirming that that's what I want to avoid. And in turn, I put the energy and focus there. Whereas what I wish I would have said is something like, like just going back to that it's the bullies. It's not you. Bodies come in all different shapes and sizes. Those kinds of messages that I think if we're doing this work for ourselves could eventually come a little more easier to us. Now, let me ask you, what if a child comes to you and says, and to be honest, my husband's come to me and said this too. So I think (laughs) this applies to everybody, not just kids. But what if somebody comes up to you and says, I want to eat healthier? Because for me, it's really hard to navigate this conversation. It feels weird to oppose healthy eating and get like really defensive about it, even though I do, (laughs) because I know (laughs) that that's often code for disordered eating. So what's your suggested approach? Again, I'm picturing like myself, I'm 11, 12, 13. I'm starting to hear things about the apple cleanse and the (laughs) cayenne pepper, apple cider vinegar thing. And just these, they're fad diets. They're just fad diets. But because there's apples and green stuff, it feels like it's the healthy thing to do. And I think that's that's what's still so hard to entangle. Even if we don't buy into the fad diets, it's still really hard to have an intention of healthier eating and not turning that into a slippery slope of disordered eating. Yep, you're right. And I think that I would break this into two categories. There's one, your mindset. And then the second category is how you actually talk about it. Because the mindset I want all, I mean, I would say all parents, but I mean, I guess I would want all people to have is it's a version of what you're saying, right? We do want to be skeptical of what someone means when they say healthy eating with, you know, I'm doing air quotes, or I want to eat healthier. I don't think we want to assume that someone's intention to eat healthier always means disorder. But we also can't assume it doesn't because to your point, especially a young person, I mean, when young people, 11, 12, want to eat healthier, I am very concerned because what do you mean by healthier? And that's an unnecessary first question. 
what do you mean? You know, and I can say as someone that I have little kids, so three, seven, and nine almost, when they want to eat more vegetables, oh my gosh, I am very excited. It's like, because they're, they want to eat whatever they want to eat. And I try to tamp down my like little happy dance that I'm doing because I don't want to like overly celebrate because I, I, I don't want morality in food. And of course, as a parent, I want my kids to be able to like poop and have fiber. And, you know, so I see and I have empathy for a parent whose kid is maybe just like a traditional, like kind of little lowercase p picky eater over the course of their young childhood. And then as they approach teenagehood or like, oh, I want to eat healthier. I could see a not so informed parent just getting excited and layer on if the kid was in a larger body, forget it. Then there's just joy. And, you know, oh my gosh, we're so excited. They want to eat salad. But the thing is, what does the child mean by eating healthier? I think it's better to assume they either don't know what that means or it's literally disorder masquerading as healthier based on some information. Like where did they get the information, right? You know, if you're building this body positive home, you should be the whole time instilling in these kids, you know, healthy is a tricky word. What's healthy for one person might not be healthy for another. Like, what do you mean? So this question, what do you mean? It's essential because then the way you're going to respond to them is everything to do with what they say. Oh, well, uh, you know, I, I want to eat more vegetables. Cool. Like, where did you hear that? You know, that you should eat more vegetables or, oh, well, you know, this this influencer I was following. (laughs) Oh gosh. You know, and, and also what are their goals? What's your goal for eating healthier? Exactly. Like why is an 11 year old worried about their health? So I think you want to approach them. I don't, you know, I think there's this urge or this risk. I I feel like people are at, especially in like the strident anti-diet space to almost like jump to the conclusion that something very bad is happening here, you know, but like, the reality is that it's an invitation to try to better understand more. And I think too, that if your child is like, well, I just want to eat more vegetables. It's like, cool, but we're not eliminating any of the foods you were already eating. Like if you want to add vegetables, cool, but like mac and cheese isn't dropping off the rotation. Like it's healthy to be able to eat all foods without guilt and shame, right? So I think it's not one conversation, but I think if anything, I'm speaking more to the mindset that I want parents to have and that on some level, you do need to be watching any behavioral change around food with a young person, like be curious and a little concerned. I mean, tween and teen eating disorders are really raging right now, you know? On that note, I'm going to take a dramatic sip of tea. Big Heart Tea, that is. My favorite certified organic tea wrapped in sustainable packaging made from plants, not plastics, and produced with the utmost regard for the farmers who grow it. If you've been here for a while, you know that tea has been a big part of my self-love journey. I just find it so warm and soothing and grounding. It doesn't matter what day I'm having, a cup of tea always makes it better. And I love Big Heart Tea because their company is female-founded and mission-driven. Their farmer's collection is a growing line of intentionally sourced direct trade teas, which you can really taste with every sip. I'm currently drinking their signature cup of sunshine because spring is here. It's an herbal blend, which is great for the afternoons when you don't want caffeine or maybe you can't have caffeine because it will give you anxiety and a borderline heart attack if you're anything like me. So stock up on your own tea by going to bigheartea.com and use code MARY20 for a discount at checkout. Again, that's bigheartea.com and use code MARY20. Now back to the show. And if a kid says, like, I want to be healthier to lose some weight, do we go back to that first conversation? Or, like, what's your go-to response? Yeah, I think if a kid was saying... I want to eat healthier so I can lose weight. I would probably start with, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this because, oh my gosh, am I glad a child is telling an informed parent about this because that's the moment, right? That's the moment where all your hard work getting to 
you know, whether you're on your own intuitive eating journey or you're just like, yes, I want to be a body positive parent, like all that you're learning, that's the moment where then you are the difference in that child's life between a parent that says, oh, okay, well, we could go see a, a nutritionist. They could, they could help you lose weight. That sounds reasonable. And another parent who might say, oh my gosh, I'm really glad you're telling me about this because, you know, weight loss isn't actually something that I'm going to allow you to try for. Like, that's not one of the options here. We can totally talk about how you're feeling in your body or how you're feeling after you eat. Like we could even get help for that, but weight loss is not on the table. Like, how do you feel about that? Because that's a fair policy to have as a parent, just like weight loss is not one of the options here. Like, I'm sorry, drug use is not one of the options here. You're 11, you know, or you don't have a driver's license. You can't drive alone. Sorry. Like that's not one of the options here. And weight loss, I think is on that table because that's the beginning, right? Do you make a distinction between saying like trying for weight loss or like the pursuit of like intentional weight loss? Not that 11 year olds need to know these big words, but that's one thing that I try to really say for the sake of my audience who hears that and they're like, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with losing a little? What if it's unintentional? You know, and like I have, unfortunately, people who follow me that will use any opportunity to point out any body change in myself, including weight loss that I have to keep reassuring them is not intentional. It's almost like I'm always defending myself. So that feels weird too. But do you say that? You're talking about this very complex, nuanced yeah. thing. I mean, in your, your example is fascinating. I mean, that you get sort of like people who are watching you, right? And, and I mean, that's it, it, it's complicated because you're like an influencer, I guess. So like you, you put your body out there to do good and to help people embrace themselves and people are looking to you, but it's unrealistic. You're also a human being with a body mm-hmm. and you're allowed to do your life. And I mean, I, I remember when my dog died a few years ago, I lost a lot of weight because I was just was in grief and running after kids and, and my body did change and people come, oh, you look great. What are you doing? It's like, my dog died. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know, like, but I think that actually intersects a little bit more with boundaries and, and whether or not you have permission to talk about my body. This is complicated. I think I intuitively in that moment probably said trying for weight loss because it is different. Bodies do fluctuate. I think about teen clients even that are in larger bodies that maybe are struggling with eating behavior. It's separate, you know, like even if they're not struggling with eating behavior. I mean, I guess I'm thinking about kids that maybe do struggle a little bit with binge eating and also happen to be in larger bodies. I've seen them go to camp, for example, like regular camp. And something happens where their eating is so regulated because of the just the camp. It's not it's not a fat camp, you know. It's like a great like outdoorsy camp, and they're just more active and they're eating like just with much more stability. And their bodies do change a little over the summer. Now that's not trying for weight loss. That's not intentional weight loss. Am I curious about what happened to that kid when they came back? Yeah, I am. But I'm also assessing as I get to know like how they're doing. And that's very different. And then I see kids that go to camp and lose a lot of weight and come into eating disorder treatment when they get back because something very different happens. That happens too. But I think that you want to find probably developmentally appropriate language, depending on how old the kid is, to distinguish this very tricky thing that bodies do change in all different directions from the pursuit of weight loss which as you know, is so tricky. And for young people, I just believe it should just be very clearly, like this is not something we do. We don't believe in that. You know, we don't believe in that. My heart got so happy when you equated it to drugs. I don't know why, but I just wish that that was a more popular, I suppose, analogy or just like boundary. Like you said, like, we don't do drugs, you're 11. (laughs) Even if you're 16, we want to do drugs. (laughs) But it added a little bit of just lightness, like levity to it for adults navigating this, that you are allowed to have certain boundaries based on your values. And a no can be just a no. 
because and sometimes it is not developmentally appropriate to explain all of the reasons. But there are times that, you know, we could have a little bit more open and honest conversations, especially if kids are coming to you saying that they're already learning all the things on social media and at school and whatever, then it is, I think, our job to to step in and bring clarity to what they're learning or more factual information or at the very least a safe space to talk about. You were on a podcast, this gets me thinking, a couple of years ago that I listened to in preparation for this conversation. And I'm just going to say how it is. It triggered the fuck out of me because so many of the questions almost felt like it was like, well, but what about this? But what about your kid if your kid is unhealthy? But this, and I mean, I think that the conversation was powerful because that's what a lot of people listening are thinking. So the interviewers did a really great job of bringing that up. And on the flip side, it triggered me because it's exactly what I wish people were not thinking. So I'm wondering if I may bring up this element going back to the healthy eating, but now going to health. And one thing that you'll often talk about is if your child is healthy, but they're in a bigger body, then there's absolutely zero concern. They're just doing their thing. They're being kids. You can kind of observe if all the other, you know, activities in their life, social interactions, how they're eating with you at the dinner table. If everything seems fine, but they're just like gaining weight, then it's probably puberty. Nothing to be, nothing to be scared of. One element there that I think the interviewers were trying to stump you on, but weren't able to, that I really want to just ask here for personal reasons. What if your child is, or the child has some health concerns? For example, a blood panel comes back with some concerning numbers. And there's obviously medical fat phobia to be dealt with, which I do want to talk about because that, those are some very important boundaries. But say that comes back and now the conversation isn't about like your body. It is about your health. And I know the first step is to like separate those two. And hopefully you could talk more about that. But could you speak more on that? I don't have a concrete question, but I wanted to re-bring it up in a way that hopefully didn't feel like the other interview I listened to. <laughs> I'm forgetting which one this was, but ooh, it sounds awful. Um, <laughs> no, your question is beautiful. I mean, and they are diamonds in the rough. But if you can find an adolescent medicine doctor that understands all of what you and I are talking about, right? Like truly aware of their own unchecked biases and also this sort of systemic anti-fatness that exists in our medical system. Like they exist, these, these medical providers. And ideally you're partnering with one of these people, whether you're a parent, because so much of this, especially when a child in a larger body has some kind of metabolic issue, right? Like blood sugar irregularity or something. The most important thing is that in my case, it's like, I'll be the therapist and then there's the doctor. But if you're the parent and you've got a kid like this, you need to ensure that your doctor is able to be a weight neutral provider because only then can you actually trust that we're talking about health. And in some cases, behavioral change is indicated now, if a child is moving, you know, in all sorts of ways and is actually eating a pretty balanced diet, like there's no evidence of binge eating, for example, you know, I do think that this conversation, you have to rely on your doctor as someone who's going to be open to shared decision-making about like, well, what we, we can't put the pressure on this child who literally has no disordered eating to like adjust their diet to support their health, like that might be a bigger conversation about medications and like, what are the alternate therapies for this child who's not having any disordered eating? Because going to the diet as the front line, if there's nothing wonky going on, right? With a kid who's just eating and, and doing well and thriving, that's not a great idea. You want to be able to talk to a provider about that as one piece, but it can't be the only one. If a child is actually struggling with 
you know, and I've seen this happen where there is, let's say, some kind of binge eating happening. And there is also present some kind of maybe burgeoning insulin resistance or something. This is a very complicated situation. It doesn't happen all the time. You know, I don't think it's the majority of, of cases I've worked with. But in this case, you might have to treat a couple of things at once. Like you might have to treat the child's eating disorder. You might need to help them right, regulate their eating so that they're there is less, let's say, binging on sugary snacks, if that's part of what's happening, while also working closely with a doctor who's able to determine, is that significant? Like, is regulating the eating actually making an impact on this child's, we're using blood sugar as an example, but like this child's medical condition, but your doctor is the one that needs to be able to tell you what beyond dietary change is available, right? And the thing we have to keep in mind is that this is presuming your kid has a therapist that understands all this, right? If there's just a medical issue, you have to be able to say, I don't know what's actually going on with my kid. Like we don't, you don't know exactly, especially as a kid is becoming a teenager, you don't actually know every single little thing they're eating or every little moment they're moving. Like, And as we know from all that we know about like the realities of health, like what we eat, it's just a part of the larger picture. Is this child sleeping? How are their relationships? Are they drinking enough water? Are they moving in ways that feel joyful? Are they depressed? Like there's so many different places to go with it. And so I think it's it's a messy answer because I think it's a complicated question and it's so unique to the individual. But this is where I talk about that mindset. Like you have to be ready to advocate for your kid. And if a doctor says, and they often do, oh, we have to put them on a diet, you have to find another doctor because that's not good enough. That's making the problem worse. And it's assuming that that somehow that's the magic bullet when actually it might be making health worse in the long term. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing you say is that it's important to educate ourselves so that we can better advocate. And I think most people listening are already pretty far ahead in doing that and, you know, knowing that weight isn't health and that how dieting has some dire consequences, not just eating disorder related, but also like physical health consequences that weight cycling will not only make you gain more weight, but like all these things that we've been talking about. And I'm hearing this big element of how in a, in a perfect world, your job as a parent is to observe and advocate. Mm -hmm. You have a therapist for the mental stuff, perhaps somebody like you, to help your child navigate and also help you navigate it both in and outside the home, creating a body positive home. And then a weight neutral medical provider. And if they are exhibiting signs of weight stigma, then hopefully you can get a different doctor. So that's in a perfect world, assuming we have access to resources like that and we're you know, living in a city that might have more providers, which is just really, really difficult. I suppose I'll speak for myself, but I'm the kid. <laughs> I was the kid with the health issues. And I had, you know, thyroid. I was having like unexplained fainting spells. I mean, looking back now, so much of it was probably disordered eating, but I'd like hormone dysregulator, like so many things. And let me know if this is aligned with your professional opinion, but I guess that under a certain age, I would put that at like 15. I think when you're like 16 and up, you can be treated like a little bit more like an adult. But being younger and hearing these conversations about my health constantly from parents, doctors, then obviously it sends me into a cycle of researching, Googling at night, staying up, like that kind of stuff. Like I almost wish that I was left out of it. And I think I loved when you brought up like sleep and activity and like there's so many other things that can be approached aside from dieting. And let's make sure we do all these other things before we even start thinking about your food. 
like, do you think that it's developmentally appropriate? Because it reminds me of like Michelle Obama's campaign, for example, of like healthy eating for kids and cafeterias or whatever, or just all this emphasis about like child obesity and educating our children to eat healthy. And there are so many parents that will defend that. Mm -hmm to the ground, like they will say that this is what we need to do is teach our kids healthy eating because that's the root. But I've looked at some numbers and I'm not a scientist, but I have, you know, in this developed some scientific literacy. And for me, it seems like a lot of the quote obesity epidemic, but let's just say objective rising average weight in children is super well timed out with the rise of Weight Watchers and child dieting and the whole rhetoric around it, creating this kind of like mixed cause and effect relationship. So anyway, that's a whole different tangent. But I'm wondering if you think kids could maybe be left out of that health conversation at times. Absolutely. And I think it's like you're talking about... I mean, the thyroid is a good example, right? Like there are these, the kids are just getting little sound bites. I mean, adults are getting sound bites. I can tell you just based on living in this world that I think about like blood pressure, thyroid, blood sugar, like there are these sort of basic medical things or conditions that I don't personally associate with lifestyle, but I could see why millions of people do because of whatever influencer is healing their root cause thyroid dysfunction through getting rid of gluten or, you know, like this one is, you know, reverse their diabetes through becoming plant-based. And these people are real people too, you know, like those are their experiences. But I think that because of the way our culture talks so much about this sort of one-to-one, like you eat this and then you fix your health, This is very, I feel for you as a child in that situation, because if you're already kind of mixed up in disordered eating and you have access to the internet, oh my gosh, right? So what you probably needed was one, to be not entirely kept out, but had somebody interpret this in words and also with myth busting, you could understand. So I think about like if a kid is having some let's say there is a little risk of type two diabetes, or maybe they've developed it, who knows, you know? And I would really want to make sure that the communication to that kid is, listen, your pancreas does work differently than someone else's, like than your sister's. And so it's not actually your fault. (laughs) This is just your body, right? Like your thyroid is slower than his thyroid, But here's the thing. We don't have as much control as you might think over whether or not your thyroid is super fast or super slow. Some thyroids are too fast. Some thyroids are too slow. Can I tell you a little bit about the thyroid? It's it's kind of like a cool shape. It's like this butterfly shape and it makes hormones. And here's what the hormones... I feel like I wouldn't say keep kids out of health conversations, I would say be intentional about how you talk to them about health in ways they can understand that one, make it very clear that it's not their fault if something in their body isn't working properly. And two, it's a great opportunity to talk about the function of the body and the way the insides work, right? It's like the opposite of how do I look? It's like, what's going on in there, you know? And to make space for oh my gosh, that's really hard to have any kind of chronic health issues or extra medical appointments as a kid. Like, you know, we don't want to deny that that's hard, but I think we want to create better, I don't want to say optics, like we just want to interpret better for kids and use non-blaming, non-stigmatizing language because that's all they're going to have. And then if they dive into Google, they're going to find something else, you know? Yeah. And the only way we can do that is by learning about this and doing it for ourselves. Yes, exactly. I know we only have a couple of minutes here, but I just really have to ask this question because it's such gold. One thing that stresses me out is visiting family members that I haven't seen in a while, knowing that they're going to comment on my weight. And again, especially if a kid has health concerns or, you know, there's information that has been shared with said family members, it just becomes 
just a little anxiety provoking for me and I can imagine for a young person. And I'm sure there are parents out there that worry about the same for their children. I saw and heard that you teach a tool called Cope Ahead. I want you to explain what that is, how we can use it, and also how it could perhaps be used not just with dealing with difficult family members, but maybe in like a medical setting too. Oh, yeah, I I could totally see that. I am a big believer in whenever you can. You said it too, like your job as the parent. It's what did you say before? It's like you summarized it well to advocate, to observe and advocate. Observe and advocate. Yeah, I'm going to. You said it. You said it. Oh, did I? (laughs) You summarized it. I summarized it, but you said it for sure. It was great. Sounded great coming from you. We do have a responsibility to advocate. And look, if you have narcissistic family members, which everybody does, it's very low expectations for how far you can get with somebody in terms of really getting them to see that you have a subjective reality and there your child has a subjective reality and that there's something in it for them to honor that. Like there are some hopeless causes. And sometimes as a parent, the hard thing is like, is it safe for me to bring my child or even myself around this person? That's the topic in therapy a lot for people, right? Like I want to be part of my family, but every time I see them, I, I feel so awful. And I say, whoa, what a dilemma, right? Because of course you want to be connected to your family, but it sounds like the only way you can be around them is to just feel totally awful about yourself. Like, let's unpack that, right? But when it's your kid, I think that the stakes are even higher because you have to make a decision. Is it safe for me to bring my kid around this, you know, aunt who either is just always talking about her own diet shit or literally thinks it is within her rights to comment on my child. And so I might recommend that you cope ahead by having a hard conversation with that family member before you decide whether or not it's safe to bring your kid. And I actually think it's important to name the very thing that you're concerned about. So if your child, for example, has gained weight, whether they're going through puberty or they're just body is developing and they're growing into the larger body they're meant to have. I don't think it's wise to take them into the like hornet's nest without preparation, but to call and say, I just want to let you know, Aunt Sue, my child has gained weight since the last time you saw them. And I know that that might concern you. And it might even lead you to think that commenting on it or helping them not eat another cookie is actually going to help them. I see that would be you trying to help, but let me tell you, that's not going to work. That's actually going to make them feel horrible. And my job is to keep them feeling decent about themselves. And so that's coping ahead, right? Calling ahead, sending a text. And I think you can even say, can you essentially meet my need? Because then if the answer is no, you might have to decide whether or not it's safe. And I do think that we have to remember, I mean, like, sometimes we just want to scream at these people, you know? And tell them to fuck off. <laughs> and you might have to. I don't pretend that that's easy. You could want to tell a part of your parent to fuck off, right? The part of my parent that has internalized anti-fatness and our relationship has been damaged by diet culture. You know, it's a part of that person that I hate. I want to kick them. Then there's this other part that I love, you know, and, and how is that possible? I mean, this is amazing about humans. It's so complicated, but I think to be able to say, I know you don't want to hurt my kid. I know that. I know you love her, but here's the thing. The only way we can come is if you can promise me you won't comment because the comments, you know, the comments are just so painful. So that's coping ahead. It's like, it's having the hard conversation so that your kid doesn't have to internalize the pain and the hurt. I've used this strategy quite a few times and I come from an immigrant family. They're all Russian and Middle Eastern and Jewish and like just so many cultural norms that you think are a lost cause. But I just want to remind our listeners that people will surprise you when Mm -hmm. you become good at communicating and setting boundaries. I'm not saying this works for everybody. There are some narcissists who can't receive an ounce of feedback, but often like people really will surprise you. I think that's one thing that I I wish I would have known so that I would have been having these conversations earlier for myself and for the kids in my life and and that kind of thing. 
I love that you said that and that that's anecdotally just your experience because I, I do too think that people actually can change provided that you show them what's in it for them to meet your need. And that sometimes even works with truly narcissistic people. What's in it for you to meet my need? That's that sort of reinforcement, right? And so anytime I like, you know, think about advising someone, or even if I'm approaching my own difficult conversation where I have to set a limit or a boundary, I'm always trying to think, well, what's the most effective way for me to communicate such that I get what I need? It's usually involves some helping them understand how they can help me and also they can win too. I love that. I love that. Zoe, I know I have to let you go, although I do not want to. Do you have (laughs) any last minute thoughts or something that you just really want our listeners to come away with and also where they can find you and work with you? Well, I think I want everyone to come away with the reality that this is very hard and that there's no one conversation that's going to like make or break. I mean, let me back up because sometimes there is one horribly shameful conversation or comment that actually can hurt somebody for their lifetime. But if what you're doing is trying to wrestle, this is about wrestling, right? It's about wrestling, unlearning, learning, pausing, reflecting, like this is incredibly hard work. And if you show up in a child's life, if you eat with a child, if you play with a child, like if you have a relationship with a young person, the more you do this, you can be that body positive grown up in that child's life. And even if you're the only one, oh my gosh, like that's everything. Oh my gosh. Yes. I needed that. You needed that. (laughs) Yeah, I really needed that. There's a kid in my life and I so badly want to intervene, but it's not my place. And I'm like, you know what? The best I can do is be there for them. So when they become a teen, an older teen, I'm, I'm here, you know, even as an adult, you know? Totally. And that you're modeling what it looks like to not even just be okay, but to be an activist, to be an advocate, to, to speak your mind, to value authenticity, like all of those things. And to know that that's meaningful. And people can find me at my new website, Body Positive Home. Bodypositivehome.com, right? Bodypositivehome.com or on Instagram at My Body Positive Home. My Body Positive Home. I absolutely love your Instagram. I binged all your content and <gasps> it's full of just bite-sized body image tips and for creating those body positive values. And it's just been so, so helpful. And thank you so much for serving us, Zoe. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me. One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show, Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.